0: All right. Yeah. So what's
1: up, everybody? Welcome to episode seventy-eight of the Podcast.
0: Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. Yeah. You're you're our host. Okay, Greg Keogh. Do, do
2: the full role, then. Go ahead.
1: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 78 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Greg Hugh. I'm your guest host for this week. I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined by your usual hosts out in Whitby, Ontario, Aaron Vay. Hello there. And also here in Toronto, Ontario, it's Tim Mitra. How's it going? Nice. Oh, that was nice. That was nice. That was good.
2: That was for the people in their cars driving around. <clears throat> folks, sorry, folks in their cars. Folks, folks i was telling, uh, telling you uh, on slack last night that uh, i was mixing the podcast and and Jaime did actually make a point of saying for the folks driving in their cars last episode but i don't think we really caught it
1: <laughs> you missed it <laughs> yes Jaime uh, hi, sends his regrets and mark will maybe be joining us in a minute eventually yep longest minute ever well it's at the end of this coder meetup yesterday and i got you at least one new subscriber well, oh okay. good um i forgot what i was saying i said something about podcasts and he said oh what do you know what do you listen to oh someone you know like uh anyway i was like oh i've got the podcast to catch up with on my on my commute back home and Uh he's like oh what do you listen to and then he was using overcast so i browsed the list and i said oh more than just anyway he subscribed so cool gotta make this an impressive episode because he might be listening
0: so far so good (laughs) yep (laughs) good stuff about the weather let's talk about the weather
1: so cold oh my god the cold jesus and the snow—it snowed today. It's going to snow, know. I think, for the next week.
2: So we're actually going to get. And talk. how about Bruno Mars? Does he like? Does he like book off Super Bowl Sunday off his schedule in I case they call him? Is. I
0: don't know who that
2: is. <laughs> Bruno Mars.
1: I mean, that, did that you look at this forecast for Saturday? Feels like minus twenty-eight. Stop that! Unbelievable! Unbelievable!
2: That's what my wife said. You to—I don't have to go outside on Saturday. Minus.
1: 28 you know what that is in fahrenheit because i need to practice minus 18 which doesn't sound as bad but celsius minus yeah, yeah, unbelievable minus 18 uh, fahrenheit yeah but uh yeah and a bunch of snow which is nice because we haven't really had snow have we
0: i was fine with that
1: yeah so well i don't shovel snow anymore so i don't really care either way but
2: yeah um, i do and it's I nice
1: it's <laughs> it's
2: nice to look you at you get to pay those condo fees so how long have you lived in the condo six years
1: i think five years hmm. six years I where think. were you before that i uh, lived out in high park
2: oh
1: hmm. interesting
2: yep okay so uh greg what are we talking about
1: i think we got a little bit of follow-up tim all right what are we following F- you tim F- what do you have oh, to from, tell us from you actually uh, i was gonna go down to yours about the app stores and economy oh
2: you know you probably should look at that um Why don't we do yours first, and I'll just quickly breeze through this one.
1: Uh, Sure. Last week, or maybe the week before, or maybe the episode before the episode before that, there was some talk about Parse... Shutting go down. Track. It was last week. Uh, who, the, who the heck knows? And uh, there was much gnashing of teeth about the news, and people were saying, oh, we're doomed, and then the usual articles about you should never rely on third parties, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
0: That's true. That is all true.
1: Yes. Yes. That's why I'm repeating it. Okay. And the... But, of course, the Parse server is going to be open-sourced, at least, and so you can always... Folks can always go and run it on their own servers, and it's going to be an open-source product, and... Maybe minor conflict of interest. I do know some of the parse people and I know they're very committed to the product. Some of them are very sad, et cetera, et cetera. Some but, of them are very um, out of
0: work. Is that right?
1: I believe they will just be moved around, but oh, I have no good. knowledge about that. Um, right. But I think that um, sort of the core product, you know, parse server being open sourced, and there's so much interest in it because I think a lot of people really did like, I mean, the service was nice, but I think a lot of people really did like the parse API. So to be able to run that on your own servers, and of course, a whole bunch of companies are now going to be starting up and offering Parse as a service or whatnot. But again, to avoid running into the same problem, I would say you should run it yourself on your own server. And it's going to be a thriving open source project, I think, coming up. And so there's this post by uh, Fosco Morado, who's the the developer, developer advocate at Parse. And he just had this post about sort of what's going on with the open source stuff. And um what's coming up and they're still gonna be working on it. So anyone who is likes parse and uses it, you know, there's the migration tool and you can host it yourself and it should be a pretty good transition as transitions go, I think.
0: This is like the most exciting part about parse dying, I think. That we ended up with this server,
1: right? Exactly.
2: Um, what I thought was interesting about the the article and what I got out of it was that, that um the the rolling out of this open source version of Parse and the shutting down of Parse weren't one the same thing. Like, like according to what this guy says in the uh, in his article, that he was actually all set to to th- release the open source version of Parse and and wasn't aware that they were going to shut it down on the same day. And yeah, so he kind of pushed all the buttons to make it hap- make it go live, and then and then found out the news, right? So mm-hmm. t- just to say that it's not coincidental that they're happening at the same time. It just, it, or sorry, I guess that is coincidental.
0: It oh. is apparently coincidental.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't, so it stayed. wasn't sort of, the, I mean, like they weren't part of the same plan as it were, right? Yes. I don't think the people
1: working on the open source were saying <clears throat> we have to do this because it's going to be shutting down is right. the yeah. understanding that I got from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Sorry, and yet wrong. someone over their heads must have known that it was coming and thought that it was a, a good way to soften the blow on what they considered at the time an inevitable decision to shut down the whole service.
2: Hmm. Yeah. But um, I, I kind of wonder, though, is like companies like Facebook, I mean, Facebook must be quite big by now in terms of in terms of executives top down to the bottom decisions. Right. And and sometimes, you know, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing, you know. But, you know, this server announcement was part of
0: their their notice that the service is shutting down.
2: Oh, yeah. Was it? OK. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, like they, they say, yeah, you've got a year and you know, we've got two tools to help you out. One is the migrator to get you from parse to a, a an instance of MongoDB, and another is parse server. And parse server, not coincidentally, works with MongoDB as its back end data stores. So, you know, like uh somebody over Fosco Muroado's head knew about this and planned accordingly. That's my theory. That's my read of this. Mm. So but it's still, it's great. I mean, and I think what Greg is saying is absolutely true. You know, this could, this could lead to a thriving, you know, um, tool set for mobile developers, you know, who are already familiar with the Parse API. And, you know, although I've never studied it myself, having never believed in using a service like this for reasons that we've discussed, now it seems worthwhile to take a look at. And everyone seems to like it. Those that use it. Mm-hmm. Those that use it love it. And everyone else just stayed the hell away because they were smart. Parse two for the win. Um, we're all over that. Let's let's see that happen. I, I want to try it out. Actually, I've got a little toy project that I'm working on right now, and um, I'm actually considering using
1: this. Even ah, though how's not... your no? Then how's your express, Aaron? Terrible. You need to non-existent.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this is gonna make me try and figure it out. What the hell? I've got a server. I'll give it a shot. Mm. Why not? I mean, why not? Got That's the, the spirit. Sitting
2: there, yeah, for sure.
0: <clears throat> So that's one so
2: Tim App Stores as an economy. economy. What do you have to economy. say for yourself? Yeah, that app was uh, so. This was another follow up article, and uh, it was uh, brought up a couple of weeks ago. We just in regard were talking about it, but um, and I'm actually not even sure when it was published. But um, it's a, a, a piece by a developer talking about how um, the App Store. We kind of sort of all thought the App Store would sort of be the new food truck, if you will, of of uh, a way to make money. And talking, he talks in the article about how you know in he uses restaurants as an analogy and you know the 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 lore is that 90% of restaurants fail you know why should it be any different for apps it says here and uh but he says more like 60% is fails and he has um he goes through just the TLDR on this is that he has 10 po- sort of eight eight points that he goes through looking at how um apple could you know turn app economy around a bit but uh and and he goes through the points of of why they kind of sort of won't you know like the fact that we don't we've talked about this a thousand times you know no no free trials, no paid upgrades, that kind of stuff right so um, but it's, it's a good read if you're interested in, in the um, what we're all trying to do to make a living as it were right uh, I had this
0: um, we did talk a little bit about this article back in the lost episode okay um, yeah, I just went back down and saw the same URL in our show notes for episode seventy six mm-hmm. uh, and I do remember mentioning this um, in the same uh, breath as we were talking about the Panic 2015 report. Right. Um, do you remember that? And so um, let's just let's just bump those up, since that episode's never going to air anyway. Sure. <coughs> so, <coughs>
2: I'm sorry, now I'm actually that, coughing. That's, that's the, 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 the Whitby knife in your back, folks.
0: That's right, that's it. Check it out, look in the back, and it's like, oh, it's just Toronto. No, So never mind. Um, so yeah, sort of from the same... Um, Uh, way of thinking, um, because I was reading this article as you were talking, Tim, and thinking, awfully familiar. I think I've read this before and talked about it before. (laughs) So anyway, so I'll paste this link into the notes here again, Tim, so it's further up. And this is from uh, Cable Sasser, ruler of Panic, the well-regarded Apple software developer. Uh, It's their year-end report where they cover all the things that they've been working on, but um, there's a section in here called challenges, and you kind of discusses the same issue and it was uh, I think it was partially at least in response to this that uh, David Bernard wrote his, his piece. So the thing that Cable's talking about is how it's, he's having a really hard time charging for software um, especially of course on iOS where they're, they're doing fine on the Mac. It's on iOS that they're doing great apps but they are having a hard time making any money doing it. And so they're talking about raising the prices of their apps uh, this year. Hopefully that uh, in such a way that people would actually give them more money Uh, especially because they have more sort of niche apps. Um, And I I read that like two weeks ago when this came out, and we talked about it on the show before. I'll repeat it now. That's insane. Of course you should raise your prices, especially if you're someone like Panic, right? Um, They make niche software. Like their stuff is not used by everyone so that you shouldn't be giving it away for free. You're charging 99 cents. You should be charging more money for it. So this um, practice of saying, well, it's on iOS, so we should charge less, uh, has really got to go. And uh, I see Panic is thinking about it, at least. Uh, I hope they really do it. Um, let me give you another example of this, actually. Uh, and this is new content now, from our, uh, aside from our lost episode. <laughs> so, uh, recently Ow, we... my back! Okay. <laughs> we just saw the release of uh, Day 1, version 2.0. Uh, do you know that one? <laughs> Day 1? <one? laughs> okay, yep, it's a certainly. journal application. Yep. Very well regarded, and it's available on the Mac and iOS and uh it's it's a great app for uh writing diary entries you yeah, know for yourself lovely. and mm-hmm. uh has a lot of great features it works very well and uh it also has a syncing service that uh uses so like you can write on your mac and you'll have the same stuff on your on your ipad and iphone so they came out with a new version this week and um they charged for the release like it's not it wasn't a free update to any existing user you had to repurchase it as as you know when you're in the Mac or iOS app store, it's the only way to make money on a new version of software is to create a new application. The old one became day one classic, I believe.
2: On the iOS store, they released a new
0: version of it? Both. Oh, Mac so- and iOS. It's a simultaneous release. Hmm. Yeah. And so here's the thing, though. Um, the, the thing is on sale. It's on an introductory launch sale. I don't have the pricing at hand with me right now.
1: Nine ninety nine on iOS. This is US dollars, of course. And yeah. thirty nine ninety nine on the Mac.
0: Right. And um, those oh, but are it's
1: 50% the... off for the first week.
0: Correct. But li- listen, repeat that, Greg. What was the Mac price?
1: $40.3999.
0: And the iOS price? 9.99. This is exactly my point. And this is the same software. It's a, it's basically the same software. There's nothing different about them on each platform. They're the same. You know? Why is one 25% the cost of the other one? Why? There's no reason for that. And so you could argue maybe, I guess, that um, maybe day one or something like day one is is much more generally applicable to users. There are more people that could buy day one than they would buy Transmit, uh, Panix, FTP software, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And so maybe they, they do feel justified in charging a lower price because they'll make it up in volume. But I think my point still stands. Like someone who's willing to spend $40 on the Mac would should I would think be willing to spend it on iOS as well. Um and I think developers need to get into that mind space again in if they never if they ever were <laughs> because um this is just it's no way to make this platform sustainable. Again, we've talked about this many times.
2: Yeah, I mean it's a, the whole race to the bottom thing and and you're right though. I, I think we have and I made this point many times before about the Omni Group have you know their tools for iOS have never been bargain basement priced right so no they've been the the highest priced apps in the store yeah so and and i mean and the price is comparable maybe a little bit less but it's comparable to what you get on the uh on the mac version i think i think the difference is that and you know maybe some of the justification is that you you have more tools and features available to you running on os 10 than you do on on ios but but i think that's ios is catching up in terms of where people are spending their time right
1: yeah, Indeed. I mean, day one is absolutely. I would say feature parity between the two. Would you agree, Aaron? Between iOS well, and Mac? I'm
2: using them, and I I
0: can't tell. I much have difference not found. Yeah,
1: neither. I have both as well, and I I cannot tell if the Mac can do something maybe with sharing, probably because it has a bigger sharing infrastructure. But even mm-hmm. that's a pretty slim, yeah. to slim thing.
0: It's. I think it's fair to say that they they put as much work into the Mac as they did into the iOS version. Yes. You know. Um, so why, I would even why say
1: more for the iOS because you got uh, it's a universal app from what I know, which yes, means that you've got to test for, you know, it's effectively yeah. two, almost two apps in one, right? you got to make it sure it works on the iPhone and then also the iPad, maybe even the iPad Pro. So I would say it may even be more work to do the iOS version. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Uh.
0: It's clearly a universal app in the sense that uh, they, they use size classes and, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. It's one code base, but you've got you to gotta test it and make sure it works properly in all those devices. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, excellent app, and um, I don't know. It just it just blows my mind that they sort of they almost give it away on iOS, where they'll have many more users than they but, will on the Mac. But
2: are they giving it away like man at ten dollars, if you will? Um, are they really giving it away compared to what other apps cost? You know, people people think, still think a ninety nine cent app is where the App Store should be. I disagree wholeheartedly, but still. People still yeah. think it's, it's, you know, three, four bucks for an app. I mean,
0: it's well, see, that's the thing, though. Like, we're, we're not talking about a... people here. Yeah. We're talking about sustainability for businesses that want to sell their apps on the store, Yeah. yeah. you know? So it, it almost doesn't matter what they think. <laughs> um, the fact of the matter is, if if they want to continue seeing apps, then they need to be able to, uh, developers need to be able to charge more than they have been.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I mentioned before in in my Business experience in, in desktop publishing, and I think you probably were around then too, Aaron. Um, you know, we used to have services called Film Houses, which would basically take your uh, files that you produced on your Mac, your layout files, and, and you take them to these places to have them turned into film so you could put them on printing plates and so on and so forth, right? And Or you could have them laser print and then go make what was called camera ready artwork back in the day. And there was a you know initially when image setters were expensive they were $80,000 pieces of equipment and so if a business wanted to get involved in that kind of stuff they they really couldn't and you know they had to have staff and you know heat and hydro and and, and max clearly for for that kind of stuff they couldn't charge a really low price or they couldn't stay in business right they had to charge something and then there was this whole move of once people started or other businesses realized that there was money to be made in this market, they started buying image setters and they started, you know, putting together little shops downtown and they drove the price down to a dollar a page, right? And the the whole desktop publishing market almost collapsed, right? And but out of that came proper film houses where you if you really were serious about the work, you took it to the guys who could do the best work and you paid them what they asked you, right? And I think that's kind of sort of where the the pendulum has to swing away from the ninety nine cent app back up to the ten dollar app, you know, or even more. So that is true. That is true. I think I think because you know, I, I saw a game come on the market a couple of weeks ago, and I think James Thompson tweeted about. it I think I mentioned it on the show before, and. He the the author was charging, or the author yeah we are authors right <laughs> he was uh, he wanted you know three or four dollars for this app and I thought that's great you know why don't give it away like <laughs> we have to stop this right see and I would tell you three to four dollars is
0: giving it away well
2: yeah but, but my point was it wasn't a it wasn't a you know it, uh, you know and, you know. I still, it's funny, I, I still see apps that Apple features on their feature page. Oh, here's the app of the week. And you go and, oh, it's free. And you go and you look and you read the description about it. And sure enough, it's got in app purchases and, you know, they're, they're ridiculous. <laughs> so I can't remember if there was an app, but maybe it's this week's app. They wanted, um, you uh, guys with your icons, man. Mm-hmm. They wanted, uh, um, you know, almost $6, $7 for a, 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 a more improved version of it, or twenty dollars for a pro version, and yet this was an app that Apple was featuring as a free app, right? right. Free to play. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I'm happy that Apple and I think Starbucks used to do that before, where they would help promote apps by by you know buying a certain number of them and making them free. I would guess, right? Um, but yeah, gotta stop it. Gotta stop the bleeding.
1: It's interesting that nine ninety nine seems to be the ceiling that these companies are, are well, not panic if they're going to change their minds a little bit, but that seems to be like, oh, we're a premium app in quotes here. 10 bucks. Um, you know, 99 cents. What's uh, an order of magnitude bigger. Let's go with $10, dollars 9 99 yeah. So it seems yeah. like that's the next price point, yeah. which is crazy um, up. Yeah. Expert-
0: Cause I, you know, I remember when, when, you know, Mac shareware costing nine bucks yeah. You know, for a really good piece of max shareware, nine bucks. I was like, "Hot damn, that's a deal! <laughs> Snatch that up!" Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> you know, and you know, we've had inflation since those days. You know that that ten dollars from you know fifteen years ago, yeah, uh, is worth a lot less now.
2: <laughs> well, and so it's same kind of weird. True, same <laughs> thing's true with eBooks. If I see an eBook on a deal on an eBook, you know, and they don't go anything less than ten dollars per se, right? Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I'm sure there probably are free free ones and whatever, but. The the kind of books I'm looking for are you know they're usually texts you know want thirty or forty dollars for them as a book and they'll put like you know a press or places like that will put one on special for ten dollars and I'll snap it up or somebody will write a book on auto layout and they'll have a week special and you jump over there and you buy it right so yeah because great. it's a good price right so exactly craziness and yet that's the ceiling in iOS I think I've talked about this before but in 2010 I saw a closing keynote at a conference that I went to in Seattle. By Andy Anako, and he talked about his advice to it was a couple of things. One is, is how to get um, uh, uh, reviewers to look at your apps and write reviews about them. And he said, send us the apps and we'll look at them. Right? Like we're not there's no secret club here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, but make sure that if you send us a promo code, that the promo code actually works and that kind of stuff. But so he gave some advice on on pricing. This is going back to 2010, and he sort of said a 99 cent app. And this is the journalist kind of opinions. They didn't see 99 cent apps as as serious. You weren't a serious developer if you were only going to charge 99 cents for your app. So like a, charge a dollar 99 or, or be serious about it. To him, he felt the apps that had the most value were the ones between 2.99 and 4.99, right? And then anything, you know, if it was a serious app, it better be and if it was a good app, you know, like like omni quality or photoshop quality, then it should be $10 or end up, you know. Um, and that was in 2010, you know, and, and that still kind of holds true in a certain sense, you know, notwithstanding your point about the fact that the $9 app went into $39 Mac app uh, is are comparable, right? in features and usability.
0: It's bullshit is what it is. <laughs> Sorry, you're going to bleep that out. But uh, it is, you know, and that's, you know, that's the mind game that developers played with themselves as yeah. a group, you know, as a collective. Yeah. Uh, we all got together and crapped our pants and charged as little as we could, hoping yeah. to make it up on volume. Yeah, and that's a, that's a fool's game, and it's cost a lot of people their livelihoods. Yeah, so we're not going to have a mark tonight. Uh, yeah. Mark is in provisioning hell with a client that is uh, most unfortunate. It's uh, provisioning claims another victim.
2: It's actually been a lot better lately, but you know, huh. clearly not for Mark. And
0: Skype just claimed Greg Heo. <laughs> don't have him anymore
2: really
0: oh he's, he's gone he's just gone oh no. oh no no greg i hope he comes back make your plans now to come to nashville tennessee and attend the best tech conference being held this year indie devstock isn't just about learning the latest apple frameworks or how to program in swift indie devstock is about making connections our speakers will share their stories experiences and ideas with you Through their words, you'll gain a better understanding of the challenges indies face and, more importantly, how to overcome them. It doesn't matter if you're currently a successful indie developer, just starting out or trying to decide if going indie is right for you. We're all in this together. Too true. In addition to the Inspiration Talks, you'll also have the opportunity to attend hands-on tech talks to help you level up your skills. During this two-day event, not only will you get to experience southern hospitality at its finest but also get to hear some of the best live music around while enjoying all Nashville has to offer. For more information or to buy your ticket, go to www.indiedevstock.com. We hope to see you there.
2: Y'all. Did I do the y'all? Can I put y'all? She said y'all. She did. Um, And and, uh, I think one of our guest hosts is going to be speaking there. Which one? Of, sure which one so. of the three
0: of us here is that? Sure, hope well, so. It depends, Certainly it not depends one on of us, Cam. His
2: future, right? Yeah.
0: Well, you, you never know. Oh no, he's booked in. You're doing this regardless
2: of what happens in SoCal, right? <laughs> <Come on. laughs> yes. Okay, I, I'm trying to swing in attendance as well, but we'll see. Mm. I'd like to go to Natural. There's no reason why not to. Why not? Why not? I would go. Mm-hmm. Hells mm-hmm. yeah. Mm hmm. So I want to talk to you about this post that you put here because in my experience as a desktop publisher, I once wrote a blog post called Font is a 4 letter Word. Oh, that's, that's really catchy, Tim. Well, because it was the bane of our existence in a lot of cases. But So you've, you've put a post here about a, a font
0: called Operator? Yeah. Operator. This was announced this week by uh, Heffler-Jones. Oh, sorry, not Heffler-Jones. They had a falling out. It's just Heffler and Company. And oh. uh, this typeface is a monospace type that was invented for uh, console use Mm -hmm. and code use. Um, But it is uh, it has quite a bit of character to it. So the story is that um, they wanted to come up with a a, a technically monospace type that has italics uh, or a scripty sort of character to it Mm -hmm. uh, as well as forms that have um, sort of really (laughs) it's hard, I can't describe typefaces. (laughs) I just not like that but uh uh you know what it reminds me of uh because there was a time when i uh, used to work in the newspapers and i cared about typefaces very ba- uh, very much mm-hmm. uh there was a typeface called Liddy, Liddy black mm-hmm. that we used uh in certain circumstances and uh there's a certain liddiness to this operator and uh for a mono space font uh it has a ton of character to it
1: yeah it's very it's so, nice
2: looking font for sure
1: yeah, and um, it has a lot of... I see what you did there, Aaron. A ton of character.
0: Thank you. <laughs> um, I was just waiting for someone to jump in. And so <laughs> Anyway, uh, it looks super sharp. I mean, it looks really sharp. Unfortunately, it's $178. So um, it's not something I'm looking to add to my repertoire at this point in time. Uh, But Justin Williams makes more money than I do, apparently, and he was uh, quite pleased to spend the money to get that and drop it into Xcode. And he uh, spoke a little bit about that in uh, the piece that I've attached here in the show notes. Um, And there's also a link there to the operator uh, product page, if you will. Uh, If you dig in a bit, you'll find that there's a video about the making of the font
2: as well. Yeah. uh, And that's interesting viewing. So, in, so back in my making flags days and all that kind of stuff, I had to study fonts quite a bit and, and um, how, how characters are drawn. And I don't know if you know, the, do you know the story of, of Stone? Is a, a typeface called Stone? I do not. It was it was one of the first um, fonts designed for digital digital publishing because you know previously before before that we have always had Times New Roman and Times Times. In sort of newspapery kind of stuff, and it's meant to be a, f- a font that's small because it has serifs; it's easier to read. And then for larger fonts, like street signs and stuff like that, they tend to go to Universe or Helvetica, right? And, that's, and those, those are then they go back to the type foundries back in the you know late Renaissance, you know, kind of stuff. But so Stone was the first sort of 20th century font to kind of sort of be designed by a designer specifically for desktop publishing, right? Um, I, I mean, it never, it never was wood type or metal type. Those are people who know font, that's that's how fonts used to be actually. Typefaces used to actually be made; they were actually blocks of type or blocks of wood. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see a font that's now specifically made for reading on screens. You know, especially if, I guess even for coders specifically, right? Yeah. You know, some. I mean, we've seen some fonts come into the fore. Like uh, Verdana is one that you see a lot in a lot of websites and stuff like that for. And I th- but I think it does have a history of of coming from print. But yeah, so that
0: font is just the worst.
2: But you know, it's I, very Microsoft. I, I oh my, God, uh, it feels Microsoft. You know, kind of but but it's what I'm saying. It's really interesting to see this kind of font that it. Had, it it's very pleasing to look at. And monotype fonts are always sort of you know they're the default fonts that you know, kind of Courier and Melno and things like that that kind of menlo, menlo. Um, yeah
0: the thing like the thing to understand about monospace fonts as as a class of typeface is that every every type uh every character in the font is mm-hmm. the same width yeah. right yep. um, and that's so that they fit on um a fixed width uh console mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. sort of like a terminal screen so um, they're kind of important in that regard, and especially for coders um, who often rely on fixed width fonts mm-hmm. um, in order to uh, to more readily read their code. So it's much more legible when it's a monospace font. Um, and that's why they're so important. like for for your average desktop user, I mean every uh, other typeface, you know, um, uh, display fonts and and text fonts, uh, whether whether made for just um, dis- digital display or or mm-hmm. for newsprint, uh, they're varying widths, right? So like yeah. a, yep. a lowercase i uh, is much narrower than a than an m, right? Yep. Um, you know, so they they look reasonable when squished together. That's the kerning in a in a type. Yep. Um So. Um, you know,
2: so it's it's actually kind of a challenge to make a monospace font that actually looks decent. Um, so I was going to say, monotype f- fonts come from the old typewriter days, where where the hammers were all the same width, right? What uh, what's your uh, monospace font of choice today, Tim? Uh, I don't really have one because you know because it's funny that it's funny that uh, when I see other coders working with you know with a lot of people, like I like the terminal in black and with uh, with green or a yellow font myself. Um, but I really, I couldn't tell you what font that is. I really have haven't paid attention to it that much. And a lot of developers I know like to work on a, on a, with the with the midnight theme where it's black, you know, kind of thing, right? Yeah, a lot of people like the black. I like
0: that for the con- uh, terminal. But uh, in Xcode, yeah. I'm in default white. Um, yeah, me too. It, and if you are if you haven't changed it, I believe it's Menlo in OS X. Um, yeah. it's mm-hmm. the default monospace. Uh, it used to be Courier, yep. um, but nowadays. Um, I'm using Inconsolata, which mm. I, I definitely prefer to Menlo.
1: How about you, Greg? There is a variant. Have you seen that, Aaron? Inconsolata DZ, I think. DZ. And it's DZ. Some guy D-Z <laughs> and some, I think, uh, person with the initials DZ has fixed the quotation marks. So they're straight quotes. They go straight down instead of those funny slanted ones that they have in default Inconsolata. Have you seen that? I am looking at it now. Do the quote marks bother you? No. No, okay. in fact, I, I like the uh, sort of smart quotes. All right. I did not like them. Oh. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go with this variant. So Interesting. I, um, that, is that the only difference? I used that for a while. I believe that's the only difference, yes. Huh. Yes.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at the... the I mix.
1: have started using the font called Hack by... I've, I've forgotten who now. Yeah, Hack. Uh, anyway, I use that in Xcode just because I want to try it out. But in Terminal, I use from Adobe, there's a font called Source Code Pro. Hmm. Yeah. And I use the light variant of that in my Terminal. So that's what I've
2: got right now. So uh, clearly there's very many fonts that are meant for Oh, there this are. Purpose.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a fellow named dan benjamin he's a well nowadays he's a very prolific podcaster with his own network uh but back in the day he was a web developer and uh, a frequent blogger uh, um, of his own and he did frequent surveys of monos monospace fonts for coding and uh sort of gave his picks on the top ones Hmm. Uh, that's where i learned about in uh back in the day and uh which is sort of a i don't know if it's free or did it come with another package i never the provenance of typefaces on my system is something of a mystery to me um i think it might have come from uh, microsoft uh, office or something i'm, I'm not 100 percent sure on that one where in cause a lot of from uh but it's based on Consolas. um but again not not remembering very well hmm. i'm going to check out this uh hack typeface though that looks interesting
1: yeah, some, I uh, think I started using it. I'm like, oh, this doesn't quite look right. But I think it's just because I wasn't used to it. And now I've been using an Xcode for I don't know how long, and I haven't... Uh, haven't changed you know, it. Haven't torn, gouged my eyes out or anything like that. That's so how you know. I like it. If you
0: don't gouge your eyes I'll out, you then know. it must be good. <laughs>
1: that's how you know. I think it has a very subtle, um, not a slash across the number zero, but it has like a little dot in there. And I, nice. um
0: Yeah, I dig that. I like that. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, yeah.
1: I'm going to so anyway, true type that That's, that's my Xcode font. Cool. You're a madman, Gregio. A madman. I try. I try. Okay. Operator, um, Tim, are you now going to tell us about twenty billion dollars in services from Apple?
2: Well, I thought it was interesting. There was a couple of posts actually that this came out of, and yeah, this is this is going back to the the quarterly report. I think Mark might have brought it up uh, last time we talked about it, two three episodes ago. But uh, this was a bit of follow up that I put on there about. Um, a post that somebody had had sort of looked at, things like iCloud storage, um, I believe it was things like iTunes sales, movie sales, and things like that. Like, you know, all the billions of dollars that Apple made, they made $20 billion alone just in services. As you do? You know, with their $10 a month music, Apple music subscription, you know, kind of stuff, right? So so clearly the way of, uh, despite my bemoaning it for the last couple of months, clear the way of subscriptions for services seems to be winning the day you know if the biggest company in the world can make tons of money on it many others will follow you think subscription services are the way to go see
0: I think if I'm if I'm um, looking at Apple the big takeaway for me um, is less the 20 billion in services and and more the hundreds of Billions
2: in hardware revenue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's <laughs> true. Thought. It's true. And, and there was another. There was another post here that, the, in, in, looking at the numbers, that um, I think Apple in the last quarter made more money than Android has made in its lifetime.
0: Yeah, I saw that. You know, believable, utterly believable. I mean, because wh- what does you know? How does Google make money off of Android? Right. Um, it's ad revenue, right? Isn't it? Right. Um. So that's it's not as compelling as as selling a eight hundred dollar widget right right you know and making what four hundred dollars off of it <laughs> it's crazy mm-hmm. so you believe it
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. interesting stuff okay. that's all i have
0: to say about that well there's there's not much to say apple makes money by the container ship load by falling um, out of bed
1: basically
2: so um, greg's got something here about moore's law that i didn't see earlier you just put it in there. He's sneaky. I know
1: it's it's, uh, I put it in before the show. I put it in before the show. Ars Technica announces Moore's Law is really, really is dead this time. Really? I read th- I read this. Got a, they got a read picture of the me. graph. And 50 years later, Gordon Moore did, uh, made a very smart prediction. And uh, there it is. We've reached the end. Maybe a little bit more in the, uh, you know, shrink, shrink, shrink kind of thing that we've been doing for a long time but um they're saying that's clear that's yeah we're going to have to move to something else carbon nanotubes who knows all around three trigate wasn't enough let's go one more one more end or something like that more so gates. but there's something there's something coming Where's
2: up Dr. because you know, when we need him. so i'm confused because this chart ends in 1975 is that the end of time <laughs> well time only began in 1970 oh, of course
1: january 1st that is correct uh, utc but, um, yeah, no, this is like the classic graph that they drew from a long time ago. So this um, is the idea is of problem?
2: building on silicon chips is, is, like, this is what we've reached the end of our ability to cram more transistors in there?
1: Pretty much. Economically.
2: Between leakage, leakage and, you know, <laughs>
1: quantum entanglements, we pretty much, I think, uh, they've gone as small as they think they're going to get within the next, I don't know, five years maybe. Hmm. And then it's like, all right, what's next? What's next out there? Um, so it's exciting times. But for us, if there's a bit of a gap and a bit of a slowdown between quantum computers coming to our pockets, then um, I'm thinking from the software side, because that's where I think most of us are. It's like what the, the continued emphasis on multi-core and doing things in parallel and taking things off the main thread, which actually means something. Well, it meant something a long time ago, too, but... Um, you know you can have other threads now and you can do stuff on them so you really should do it and what is ui kit 2 going to look like is it going to be sort of um a little more concurrency friendly with that kind of thing i think that's the kind of thing that we have to look look forward to on the software side kind of look at battery technology and how slow battery technology moves and it's like all right we're going to have to be power efficient for the foreseeable future so looking at what's coming ahead in hardware i think can give us a Nice lens on what should, what we should be thinking about in terms of software. So I think that's going to continue to go on, and this whole trend of functional programming and you know again parallelism and concurrency and whatnot is um, something that we should all be looking into if we haven't already.
0: Yeah, and this is an old story actually. Like, um, even, like no, this story actually is new, but um, uh, that's it's it's been like this in the CPU world for a while, years now, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, we looked at the gigahertz, gigahertz race, as it were. Um, that really petered out at two, right? Two gigahertz when yeah. I did that and it just, um, you know, stopped going up. <laughs> um, actually, look at my uh, my brand new Mac, 12-inch MacBook here, has a 1.2 gigahertz Intel Core M processor. Gigahertz doesn't mean everything, but uh, it's, a, it's a pretty handy measure. Um, CPUs have not gotten that much faster in the last several years. And uh, they're not going to get much faster. Like, I think this is an admission, as much as anything, that uh, we got to stop looking at uh, Intel to give us dramatically faster chips. On the other hand, um, you know, look at ARM, right? Which, uh, with Apple in particular, has been driving to greater and greater levels of performance, right? Because there's there's been all this headroom. Right. But they're doing it with an architecture that's dramatically more efficient than Intel's architecture. Again, Dr. Rubin's not here, but it's just, I'm, I'm repeating things that we tend to know about, about processors. Okay. So, um, it seems to me that with Intel slowing down on the desktop side, um, Apple's going to continue to accelerate the growth of the capabilities of the ARM architectures with the A9, A10s, A11s, whatever is coming next. Um, and that we might actually have CPUs made by Apple that are comparable in speed to what Intel can do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's something that you can see looking forward to, I think.
1: Yeah, I think it's a matter of who's going to come up with the next kind of leap. Like when we went from everybody having vacuum tubes, to everybody having transistors, it was like, oh, here we go. You know, this is going to take us down a long road. So when is that going to happen? Is it going to happen soon? Is it going to be something that's kind of consumer ready early on? But I think there's going to be a, a bit of a pause coming up for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: But you know, like I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that it's going to lead us to look in different directions than than just raw speed, right? Mm-hmm. Um because you know, like you said Greg, we can take, you know, uh you know, 64 of these things and put them in a box and and now you've got a computer that's 64 times faster if you've got the right software for it. <laughs> um <laughs> ideally. But <laughs> yeah. Um but instead where we have to focus is um is in the architecture and looking at what is happening in mobile where there is still headroom. Still places to grow. Um, and, and that's where the interesting thing is, uh, stuff is happening anyway, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, are we going to see ARM-powered Macs? Again, here we are. Um, yeah, on the same token, we've got an operating system, iOS, that was made for this ARM architecture and that is doing more with less, right? That's what it's all about. It's about, um, an, about software that is not as demanding um, on the hardware, as as the mac os or windows os is on its hardware right so there's a lot more headroom to go you know and even though uh the absolute speed limit of you know nanometers uh for cpus has has uh, has, has been hit uh we can still get faster um with more efficient software and we're seeing that in ios in the mobile space
1: so tim how what about a little bit of ipad pro follow-up how much has it replaced your yeah. desktop os well, 10 experience I, I
2: think you you missed the show last week but um or you know you listened to the show but um my point still is it's it's i've actually gone back to the only computer i take with me to to work every day for personal work personal use is my ipad mm-hmm. pro so and you know so i have my iphone 6 plus for you know Things like messages and you know texting and stuff like that and phone calls clearly but yeah no my iPad Pro is the is the computer of choice my my Mac my MacBook Air 13 sits here at home waiting for me.
1: Hmm. Okay. Yeah, so. Okay.
0: Tim, did you see that um, piece by Sean Yes. No. Um. He did a piece on his site reviewing the Apple Pencil and the keyboard.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh the um, the, 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 the the keyboard cover. You mean?
0: Yes. I just wanted to mention Tim because Greg had asked about your iPad Pro. Um, if you'd seen this article by Sean Blanc and, um, Oh, it was not written by Sean Blanc. Never mind. It was written by Josh Ginter on Sean Blanc's website, tools and Um, it's just, just a review of the keyboard and pencil for the iP- iPad pro. And, um, the, the keyboard review is fine. Um, you know, I didn't really care too much about that because it's, it's just a keyboard at the end of the day. I really enjoyed the part about the pencil, which is you got to scroll halfway down to get to it. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, it really laid out uh, the use cases for the pencil and how beneficial it is for someone who's not an artist. this is huge, right, right. because yeah. mm-hmm. um, most of us aren't artists, you know you accept it, Tim, yeah, and so uh, when I think about how interesting the pencil is, um, you know something like this is very interesting to me and there's this there's this uh, photograph um, you know part way through the article, and um, i'm going to drag it out here and i'm going to put it in. If I can, can I do this? Is this one of the powers that uh, Google Docs gives me? To if drag I and drop images. Drag and drop an image into that. Yeah, hell's yeah. You see that image?
1: No, I thought that was the one you were gonna put in. <laughs> that is an
0: amazing image. Hang on a moment. I love this image because what it is, just to describe, if you're in your car. Yeah. Sorry, Jaime. Is um, there's an iPad Pro sitting on this beautiful like light wood desktop? You know everything's perfect, and um, it's in uh, split view mode, and on the left there is a pdf and on the right there's this notepad right mm-hmm. and the person is is using her pencil to to write notes alongside the pdf right right, right. and it's it's like a piece of paper yeah you know yep. like i kid you not it's like a piece of paper on the desk yep and you can you can write with abandon so, abandoned So
2: I, I don't know if you noticed at the Apple Tech Talk. I had my iPad Pro and I was actually taking notes in cursive. Hmm. You know? Yes. Yeah. I, Fully yeah, aware of this. All right. Are you so? Are you using it like this? Yes.
0: Tim Mitra. Yes, I am. Is that? Does it blow your mind at all? Or are it you does, just like? Does? Oh, totally. Yeah. Like I'm I, Tim Mitra. I don't no. give a crap. You know. Look how cool. I, look. Don't. 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 Just stop talking and check me
2: out. <laughs> See these eyes staring at you that's cool I actually want to know what app she's using because it's got some interesting tools across the top there that i had not seen before unless unless that's that's, oh that might be uh, notes
1: it could be notes isn't it it's got a little highlighting feature there too
2: yeah yeah. because I mean to this day I still carry a paper book and and I write with a pen why would you now well exactly that's a good question right Mm. so yeah
0: I tell you like looking at that um, I would love to have that on just my iPad mini (laughs) you know Like, why isn't Apple doing that? Well, yeah,
1: I'm in line for another iPad mini this year for this year's update. So I'm hoping there's going to be, you know, pencil support and... Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, i've got the older one so i don't have multitasking so i'll get to use multitasking but uh crap no, man more i tell pencil you. pencil and more devices exactly. i'm all for it yeah
0: i think greg you know i just bought a new ipad mini 4 brand new it's like yeah. weeks old i swear to god i would swell it sell it and get an ipad mini 5 if uh with <laughs> pencil support uh <laughs> I'd, I'd be like
2: dropping this piece of crap It's done well like yeah you guys are like i was with touch id i wanted to get touch id so bad right Really,
1: Touch ID's nice. Yeah, I, I miss it sometimes. Like for logging into one password on the iPad, or yeah, that's I think nice. I have it on Evernote on the phone. I think has Touch ID, and um, to get into your notes and on the iPad, it's like oh, I got to put in my four-digit code or whatever. Like it some is, kind so. of animal like an animal so yeah i missed that on the ipad but i don't know it's only those two or three apps so i don't really notice it too much but yeah that would be nice to have but i haven't even, i f- completely forgot about it the whole pencil and multitasking thing are just i think up there and touch id is kind of a little bit down. by the way list. i'd
2: like to register a complaint with who with anybody <laughs> okay the notes app on the ipad pro doesn't support multitasking this is a real-time update.
0: How is that possible? Right, that's no, not possible. I know. iPad... No. Uh, notes supports. No, multi, it doesn't.
2: Uh, I've, I've,
1: yeah, that I've was, like, one of the ones that they demoed, the I think. I side
2: here nothing's happening. It's not shrinking down. And then I've got... Oh, sorry. Yeah, take that back. It did work. Yeah. Sorry, but Apple. Actually, I think the app that, she, that she's using there is Bamboo, which I have a copy of. And it, and that Bamboo, I'm, I've actually been testing writing on all the other apps. So I was going to do a blog post or something about it at some point. But Bamboo, far and away, is the best handwriting app with the Apple Pencil. Ah, good to know. Bamboo Notebook. Yeah, and looking at these tools, I think that's the, tool, the app she's using there. Maybe. Good. All right. I think it's time to button it up. What do you think? You got to make
1: shorter shows is what I told uh, Tim. <laughs> and I, I said- tell you, I'm,
0: I'm, I'm down with that. I mean, not necessarily right. for this show, but uh, for all the podcasts I listen to, mm-hmm. they are getting longer and it's pissing yep. me off.
1: Yeah, drives me nuts. So, let's go around the table, as we usually do, and see if anybody has any picks, and let's stop at Aaron. Aaron, do you have a pick?
0: My man, you're serious about your host role there, Greg. That's fantastic. <laughs> I do have a I pick, Greg. Um, let's hear it. Let's um, hear it. So, this week, I uh, was the lucky recipient of a book by Wayne Bishop, author of Algorithms and Data Structures in Swift. And this is a, a book available in print and uh, electronic form. Uh, basically, what it is, is a tour of various uh, algorithms and data structures, but composed in Swift. There is some explanation, some commentary around these uh, various data structures and algorithms. Not a ton, um, but it gives you the code and and sort of explains a bit how they're put together and, and why they make sense. Um, and it's, uh, you know, for someone who's not a computer science person, such as myself... Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually a very interesting little book, and it's it, it is little. Like it's not it's not huge. It's like um, in my uh, iBooks as I have it in, it's ninety four pages. So it's not a big book. Oh,
2: you have um, the electronic version
0: of it. I have the electronic version. Yes. Okay. Um, and again, you can buy it in print if you wish. And I guess it would be a fairly slim volume. So um, uh, it's available at the site uh, Wayne say Wayne W dot com. Tough to read that one there uh, slash Swift, and you can actually read the whole book online. It looks like it's in HTML.
2: Yeah, it initially started out as a blog post when I was trying right. to search on um, big O notation back yeah. in back in the summer. I stumbled across this thing and before it was a book. Actually, he was I think he's still working on it. I think yeah, I don't know. I, I think he's done working on it. Um, yeah, no, it's been up for he's been he's been pitching it for a while. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And so um, there's also a Git repository so that uh, you can look at the code samples and uh, let me see here yeah and you can buy the book let me see here I'm just trying to get the pricing for you uh, it's, it's $19 US for the electronic version mm-hmm. and the printed book is $29.95 $30 US but today I don't know if this is going to actually matter because there's actually a 30% off code that says today only mm-hmm. across the top so mm-hmm. never mind
1: There is maybe small spoiler or something, but there is pretty much always a sale going on.
2: Fantastic. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I think I get an email from him on a regular basis, too, yeah. Oh, yeah? I've never had an email
0: from him. But uh, he uh, posted on Twitter that uh, the next five people would get this book for free, and I was one of them. Hooray for me. So, got the book, and uh, yeah, I've just been browsing it the last few days. It's cool. Check it out.
2: Interesting. Awesome. Uh, Tim, do you have a I pick? I don't really have a pick, but I have a follow-up to Aaron's uh, topic there. I stumbled across this the other day when I was looking at some other stuff, and it's how to, use, how to explain various sorting algorithms to a six-year-old, and the analogy that he uses is a deck of cards, and he shows how to, exp- how to you know, go through a deck of cards and how to sort the cards in the deck using various sorting algorithms. So it's kind of a hands-on mm. way of, of getting your head wrapped around these various things. I can almost picture
1: there's a Reddit thread. Oh, someone's got a video. If you scroll down, not the first answer, but like the fourth yeah. answer, there's some videos, which are very oh, yeah. good. Uh, I was going to say, I can almost imagine that there's that Reddit, subreddit, um, explain like I'm five. I can imagine there's someone has asked this question, and there are many, many poor answers if you looked on Reddit. But uh,
2: this looks pretty good. Well, this is this video looks like um, from, I think we talked about it a while ago. There was a, a group of, oh, yes, I've seen this one before, but there's a a group of educators in New Zealand, I think who did a set of videos. I think Matthias put us onto it... Um and it's using like they've got kid, like eight kids standing there with with a black and white card in their hand, and they're representing binary numbers. And they each flip the number, flip their card to show how numbers progress up in binary, or how characters mm. are represented and stuff like that. It's pretty fun if you're. And they you know they line up the kids, they give them a, a bunch of numbers, and they line them up and they step forward. You know, two of them step forward and compare their numbers, and depending on which one's higher or lower, they switch positions left and right, and then they move forward. And it's kind of like how search so, sorts work in an algorithm you know, to compare two numbers as you go through. I don't know what that one's called, but it's a sort. Hmm. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So these are kind of cool things. Okay. I was hoping to have
1: like five picks to outdo Jaime from last episode. Um, and just come up with pick after pick after pick. But I do not have that. But I have a pick. I'll go ahead with it. It's an app called Hurondo. I don't know how to pronounce it. The subtitle is Comfortably Follow Swift Discussions. This so if is you're on crazy. The, if you're on any of the Swift mailing lists, Swift Evolution, the Core Libraries discussion and whatnot... And you're getting the emails, you're probably using some kind of filter rule to put them into a folder and follow the threads. If you get the digest like I do, that's even worse because you get a digest at seemingly random times during the day and you just have to find message number seven and scroll down and whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's not that great. So there's this app that I think scrapes the website that hosts the mailing list archives and you download this app and you pick which list you want and it shows you it's almost like it's like a mail client or a news reader client if anybody out there folks out there are as old as we are and know what that yeah. is but imagine like a mail client that is just for the mailing list and you don't have to actually answer any email or you know receive email so it just reads the things does all the threading for you you can browse by person browse by topic browse by thread and whatever so if you want to browse through the mailing list or you want to go back and find something that you saw mentioned then this is the app to do it. It's in beta, and it is free. It so is astonishing, it really, for mm-hmm. something so niche, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Like, it's like it's almost like a single-serving website in a way. Yeah. Um, but it is so, it's lovely and full-featured. I, I just, I can't get my mind around why the developer, Benedict Terhecht, did this. You know, just blows
1: my mind. Um, yeah, I'm sure it was just like, I want to browse these mailing lists and I don't want to click through the horrible Piper Mail yeah, archive really and can... I don't want to use my own mail client. Yeah. So let's just do it here. Let's just so. do this. The app is still in beta. It has crashed on me a couple of times, sometimes when I scroll. But, um, you know, sometimes you want to browse through, this is the this is the way to do it.
0: And it turns out the name Herundo is Latin for Swift. So it's it's That's not for nothing. Is bird or quick? As in quick.
1: Oh. Really? I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, don't you know your Latin? Then I
1: studied Latin. Right? I, I thought I knew my a Latin, but I have never heard a that, mass, that before.
2: A, mammoth, a, mammoth, a mammoth, Or whatever something like that. Not bad.
1: I, uh, um, I was going to do the uh, a Greek of the farmer uh, declension, but let's skip that. A what? Uh, you know, agricola, <laughs> agricola, agricolam, uh, whatever it is, is not the word everyone uses. No, it was Farm. never the word because I used. it it is a masculine word, farmer, but it's in the first declension, ends in the ends in the a. You know, so it's kind of an oddball. All right, enough Latin. Forget about it. So Swift in Latin. Hereunder, I had no idea. Yeah. Anyway, that's my pick. Check it out this if you want to. Um,
2: Canadians to run a podcast.
1: Read through the mailing lists.
2: you had any good poutine lately? I had some tonight. I just went
1: to Smokes. I went to Smokes yeah, the other that's day. Good. I don't like smokes. You've never been there. You don't like it. No,
0: it's a little too uh, too out there for me. Too heavy. I feel a little ill hmm. after having that, their poutine.
1: Well, as you should, after all good poutine. But mm, uh, no. it was on the way home. I was, like, super hungry. And I was like, oh, I could go for some poutine. So, so you and I both I had there.
0: poutine with our
1: dinner tonight? Uh, no, it was, yes, that was yesterday. I think it was yesterday. All right. Yeah, not I today. had some Not today. I, okay.
2: Interesting. It was... Very good. So I, you know, I, I think I mentioned on the show that I've always sort of been looking for the good poutine, and I never really found a really good one. And I was out uh, with a friend of mine; we were checking out some electronic stores over on College, and there was a place called I'm Looking for it.
1: Some kind of hot dog, something yeah, or other. Yeah, Frank's
2: Gourmet Dogs. I think it was someone Frank's. And it's gourmet. gourmet hot dogs, right? I, I got like a Coney Island hot dog with chili on it, which was really good. It was like chili and I want to say. It had a sweet and, sweet and sour kind of thing, right? Uh, mustard and chili or something like that. And onions, maybe. But I also got a side, which turned out to be giant, of bacon and egg poutine. Hello! Yeah, and it was like, a, you know, fried egg, two fried eggs, maybe, and then a whole bunch of chopped bacon on top of the best poutine I've ever had. You know, so. Oh my God. It sounds
0: like poutine breakfast. You say this is on college?
2: yeah college yeah I'm just looking for the name it's called Frank's I'll put it in the show notes for sure for all the Toronto for, listeners yeah for those driving in cars um, hmm yeah for the Toronto know, listeners. For some reason that sounds you know weird. if you're if you're going to come to nS North, there's another reason oh. you should go over to <laughs> Frank's on college and have bacon and egg poutine. you have no excuse now right? all right, that sounds good. Did,
0: was, Tim, did you have another pick than this one? Is that...
2: No, no, I had no pick. I was, I okay. was going to be like Mark and be like, oh, I, don't, I don't have a pick.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I was going to, like I said, I was going to be high man and have five picks, but
2: <laughs> can't always get
1: what we want. No, nope. Cannot. nope. So, Tim, if people want to find you out there on the interwebs,
2: wherever they look? They can find me at, uh, on Twitter. That's probably the best way to get a hold of me, T I M M I T R A. And they can also look me up on my website, although I'm not there that often these days, ww.it guy.com. And that's it. Sounds good. Aaron, where would people find you on the internet? Go
0: to Twitter, at AaronVay.
1: I'm going to be Mark. You guys who want to get in touch with me, you should email me. I'm Greg at GregKio.com. You're a madman, Greg Heo. I am going to email you. <laughs> good. I, that's what I need. More email. I don't need more at mentions. I don't need more DMs. I want email. So, yeah, old see school, it. Old school.
2: Actually, write him a letter. Write him a cursive letter.
0: I'm going to, I'm going to mail it to you through Canada Post. Let's see. Here you go. This is the last $0.42 cent stamp that I'm going to use on your app. Oh, man, I've been using permanent... You're
2: not going to be in this country for much longer. Yeah, exactly. I've been using permanent stamps for the last, you know, 15 years. Who knows?
1: I have permanent... I still have a stash of $0.01 cent stamps, though, just in yeah. case I need to add one, but yeah. I still have them because I don't use them anymore. All right. <laughs> and that's it. Episode 78 in the can. And oh, not me, but these two gentlemen will see you next week. Bye. So, bye. bye. <laughs> you've just experienced the more than just code podcast if you want to find out more about the show you can visit the more than just code website at mtjc.fm there you'll find a summary and show notes of each episode we list links to the items that we talk about on the show picks for the episode as well as links to the apps on the app store if you like the podcast please leave a comment on the website and write a review on itunes if you're listening on overcast go ahead and press the recommend button It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening. Kind of and actually... scene. Thanks. Thanks. like an
2: animal. I actually waved when I say goodbye. There, that's kind of. Did you? Oh. Do you say that? <laughs> I, did. I, I do that sometimes. I when I say bye so, to people so the on the phone, is, I do that. that. Did you wave by wiggling your wrist, or did you get the whole arm into there?
0: The whole arm. I was like back and forth, oh, not like the queen, really? baby. I was like you know, full on wave like Pee Wee Wow. Arm. Cool.
2: Wow. wow.
0: All right. I'm kind. I
1: usually do now. that when I'm talking on the phone.
2: Probably. Yeah. So uh, I guess we should wait for Mark to uh, arrive before we discuss your. Your visit with the Dr. Ruben. It was a very good visit.
1: He, um, we talked about all of Aaron's favorite topics, the weather, mm. hockey, San Jose Sharks, the Patriots, the Super Bowl. You're um, killing me. Yeah. He would have <laughs> Aaron would have loved it. <laughs> wow. So what's Mark like in person? <laughs> He's very, very talkative. Very talkative. Really? She would Not a thing. I'm serious. <laughs> He's <like>, super talkative. <laughs> wow. And, uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: We must catch him at a bad time of day. That's that's all I can think of. It's like know. you know, six o'clock and uh, he's like, I've just worked a full day. I should probably still be working
1: and I can't believe I'm here. Well, I mean, sometimes when you guys get him going, he's like, you know, yeah. you go but he's like yeah, I guess we went for lunch, so it was during the it was it was like noon,
2: you know? But yeah. no, still- he is uh Very friendly and yes, very talkative. Well, and 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 sort of like I said, that's he was sort of the inspiration for starting up this podcast. Neither one of us, neither he or I, were into podcasts at all before when we started. But um, and he still isn't, right? But yeah, you know, all the times I ever did any sort of work with him, you know, like I said, I would work for you know a couple of minutes, and then it would be like hours of conversation, right? Wow, I I gotta tell you, that's a surprise to me. He's very very knowledgeable about the code, too, which he doesn't... Oh,
0: that I'm certain.
2: Yeah.
1: Oh, he showed off uh, two or three of his apps that he was working on, like the previous one and the couple that he was working on. Cool. So, um, yeah. We also talked about core data and, I don't know, view controller transitions and, you know, there was, there was code. It wasn't just more than just the code. We talked about the code, too. So, oh, nice. <laughs> he didn't make me code on the whiteboard, so that was a refreshing change. Well, that's good. That's good
0: okay well, what do you want to do you want me to read it or do you want to yeah can- we, we love it when you read the, you like doing the ad reads don't you i i love ad reads well there you go okay
1: that's the subtitle of the podcast aaron reeds
2: Things. <laughs> Dramatic reading by aaron Bay. that was a good
1: title last week classic
2: all right i'm gonna do this he's then. the only one with a peanuts a peanuts character of himself so far Where, did you do that yeah
0: with your apple pencil
2: yes i did uh, on my iPad No, no, I was at you can home. Cut
0: this
1: you
2: can cut this part out. I was at yeah. home. I can prove it. I've got right. a stamp.
0: Of course. Of
2: course. All right. You can,
0: you can fix dates. <laughs> I stamps. did it on I Saturday
2: you. morning while, I was, while I'm listening to the, doze, doing the, mix, the final mix of the podcast. I listened to it one more time before I published. I was actually drawing that. Uh, it's based on Charles Schultz's drawing, but I took, your, took the head I did for you for the, uh, this, the do, do, Doctor is in episode, you know, so.
0: Ah.